Another football bye week means a good time to uh, do a little basketball preview here on the Purple and Bold podcast. We just had some media days for basketball and all that stuff. That season's coming up shortly. Noah and I will quickly recap Jamie's second straight loss, um, two touchdown setback against Marshall, injuries piling up for the Dukes. Uh, most notably, Todd Santeo was out a game time decision on Saturday. It really hurt to JMU. I mean, nothing else to say about it that way. Billy Atkins was really not fully prepared for the, for the moment. Uh, you know, finding out on short notice he was going to take over. Um, you know, anything else to add to that? No. <laughs> I, I mean, he also didn't have an offensive line. So those yeah. two combination didn't really help. You can't blame the whole <laughs> loss on, on the way Billy played. Obviously, in the first quarter, he played pretty well for a guy who, who's mm-hmm. making starter short notice through for 121 yards in the first quarter. But I mean, they were without Nick Kidwell to start, and then they lost Tyshawn Wyatt kind of in the second quarter-ish, and then after that it just went downhill. Seven sacks, the most JMU's given up this year, and I think that plays a big factor into him really not having a ton of time to throw the ball. Yeah, not a ton of time to throw the ball. He's also not, like Todd, a guy who is going to really get away back there. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this, you know, since watching that game. He was – if this would have been last year with Cole Johnson at quarterback – who was equally effective as Todd Santeo, um, it just still would have been a huge loss. But I feel like the schemes and everything JMU had coming up with last year for a guy who was more of a drop-pack passer, you know, maybe Billy's more prepared to just step in and run the same stuff last year. I mean, we've seen his ability to throw the ball. Um, you know, he's, he's not a bad player from everything we've seen. But when they had a Todd Santeo game plan – ready the entire week and then find out at the last minute they can't go with it it's putting him into a pretty tough situation i feel like it is i mean it's hard for him he he's a mobile guy like he's not a guy that's gonna stay there in concrete but he's not as quick doesn't have that extra gear that i guess a guy like todd has to get out of the pocket and pick up 20 yards just out of nowhere and i think that may have shown him i mean he made a few runs in this third quarter fourth quarter where he got back-to-back positive yards picked up i think two first yeah. downs in a row and and it looked like he was figuring it out Obviously, though, yeah, they, they game plan for Todd to play, and he didn't. But I think they sound optimistic that he'll be back for Louisville. Yeah, and, and not as big a guy either, I think, you know, yeah. plays into the running game a little bit too. Um, but, yeah, like you said, sounds like they're optimistic. Uh, Centeno should be back for the next game, which is at Louisville on November 5th. Have the bye week coming up. Uh, sounds like, you know, Tyshawn Wyatt uh, should be back after missing, like you said, most of that game. Um, some other guys banged up. Um they should have some time to heal up and be mostly back to normal. But the, a big loss, as you found out this afternoon, uh, losing Sam Kidd for the rest of the year. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's been, like, you know, the one of the guys in the defense. He's been there a while, the veteran leader of that team of the defensive side of the ball. And he's out with his third shoulder surgery in six years at JMU. So he's done, and I think that pretty much ends his college football career. I don't know if he could get a waiver of any kind to get a seventh year, but, I mean, he's already played in seven games this year, so probably not. Yeah, it's probably going to be tough, and you know, at some point, you got to even wonder how much 
how much how many more surgeries you want to have when yeah, you're I mean this is you know, third shoulder yeah in the past three years he also had two other surgeries I think a hand and something else mm-hmm. so not great but you know they're also missing Jalen Walker who missed a lot of the game but you know I, I think they sound pretty optimistic about him too yeah um and I mean if you're looking at it too I would think safety I mean losing Sam Kidd hurts he's, he's a really good player he's a really good leader on the team but safety, as we talked about, is a much deeper position oh, yeah. for them than you know corner. You know, without Brent Austin uh, last weekend, that you know was something that, that was definitely noticed. You see Chauncey Logan play every snap of the entire game as a true freshman. Um, that hurts. You know, getting Jalen Walker back would be huge because they're not as deep at linebacker playing a true freshman there with because with they would have an injury to Mateo Jackson, who's yeah. the reserve linebacker who. Signetti said his season may be in jeopardy based on how long his ankle sprain takes to, to heal. Yeah, so, you know, they should be in fairly solid shape injury-wise if the bye week goes according to plan, it sounds like. Um, but heading into a tough game at Louisville. Uh, Louisville team that, after looking pretty bad week one, has been solid in the ACC. Turning it around. Yeah, uh, so not exactly sure what to expect from them, but um, – I think Jamie has a chance to be competitive if they're healthy going into that one. But we're going to get a lot more into that in a week. Uh, right now, like I said, this is the opportunity to talk a little bit of hoops. Um, all that's coming up uh, before we know it, less than two weeks away from uh, basketball at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. It's going to start with a double header, uh, men's and women's teams. Uh, the women have a pretty solid opener against a main team that was pretty good last year. Uh, women's team's trying to get healthy. Uh, get back to where they have been as a program for the past uh, couple of decades after their first losing season in 18 years. Um, you know, you came out to uh, JMU Women's Basketball Media Day, talked to some of the players, listened to Sean O'Regan talk. So we'll start with the women. It's giving me kind of your overall impression from what you've seen, heard so far with uh, women's basketball. Yeah, no, it seems like that they're they're ready for a Sunbelt Conference, which is pretty comparable to the CAA basketball-wise, both on men and women's side. But, you know, they've got a couple of transfers that I think can make a big impact for this team, and Sean Reagan, you know, talking about them, and he sounds pretty excited about both of them. So I think, you know, overall, they're, they're primed for a pretty good year. Yeah, um, it seems like they did a, a good job of, you know, I don't want to say rebuilding because uh, they only added, you know, a few people. But you, you look at um, – what they have coming back, uh, I wrote today about Peyton McDaniel getting back um, out there after uh, missing all of last year with an injury. Claire Neff was originally a Clemson transfer coming in, somebody they were really high on, missed most of last year with an injury. Both of those two players should add a lot to the offensive side of things, um, really free things up for Kiki Jefferson. And then you know somebody you talked to had a nice conversation with, uh, Caroline Germond, coming in to – Play the point guard. Sounds like she's going to be the starting point guard for this team next year. I mean, what what was your impression of her talking to her? Because Sean O'Regan is you know extremely high on what she brings to brings to this team, even if it's not a lot of scoring. Yeah, she's like a pass first point guard. You know, she's not going to look to score a ton of points. She obviously you know coming from TCU didn't put up crazy scoring numbers there, but you know. Reagan sounds like, you know, he's excited for what she can do. She helps set up the teammates, and I think that's kind of a cool point guard to take and kind of, you know, be able to set everybody else up, and that's, that'll lead to a winning way. But, you know, originally from France, she kind of went the Juco route first and then ended up at TCU and now at JMU for her last year. So she's obviously been around the block a little bit, but she's excited to have one year left and spend it in Harrisburg. 
Yeah, and it, it's a team that has uh, some familiar faces. Uh, Kiki Jefferson, in particular, coming back after averaging close to 19 points a game last year. Uh, going to be their number one option offensively. But, um, you know, Sean pointed out a ton of newcomers coming in, too. Some of them that should um, contribute right away. Uh, talked about Caroline. Uh, Kobe king Huea is transferred from Texas, who got injured, didn't play very many games at Texas, but was the number one Juco recruit in the country before she signed with the Longhorns. She's coming in, uh, should be eligible to play at the end of the first semester, so sometime you know, relatively early December before conference play begins. And they're really high on what she brings to the table, especially offensively. Uh, just seems like they should have a lot more scoring punch on the offensive end. Uh, another one, Susha Kozlova is a Middle Tennessee transfer who didn't put up big numbers there, but you know, Sean really likes what she brings to this team. Um, she seems to have a ton of offensive moves. Uh, maybe maybe has been able to improve a little bit since she's gotten to this program. Going to add a lot of depth in the front court. They should be big. They should be talented. Um, yeah, I mean, coming off a losing season, I know you didn't see a lot of women's basketball last year, but I'm thinking this should be a pretty significant turnaround for them this year. Would you agree? Yeah, I think I think that on paper they look like a lot better team than they were last year. Obviously, they had the people last year kind of just didn't work. They had injuries and things like that. On paper, though, if they stay healthy, it looks like they could make a, a serious run at the Sunbelt title. Yeah, and I, I another person I didn't mention but who's coming back after you know putting up some big numbers is uh, Jamia Hazel, who – um, you know, I think might play a little point guard this year, but probably we'll get to play off the ball a little bit more too with Caroline Germond uh, running the show there. Um, so she's going to be definitely a major contributor. And, you know, I don't know how many minutes there's going to be for a lot of freshmen on this team, but everything I've seen and heard about Maya Kone coming in, you know, 6'2", they list her as a forward, but she can play guard. She has guard skills. Um, you know, I think she's somebody who, Probably people haven't heard a lot about yet, but it's somebody who's going to uh, have a chance to be really good. It, if not this year, then down the line. Yeah, we look at the Sun Belt as a women's basketball conference. You know, Noah mentioned it. It's fairly comparable to the CAA as far as you know, just where it ranks as conferences. It's usually a one bid league, um, but you know, there's some teams that like the CAA, if they get knocked off in the conference tournament, can sometimes be in the mix a little bit for an at-large. Um, in the CAA, that was, you know, JMU most years. It's been Towson. It's been Drexel. Um, in some belt, the best team, most consistent program so far in, in the last several years has been Troy. Um, I don't know if you, you've looked into Troy women's basketball too much, but um, that's been a very – a very consistent program and Jeremy went out and went ahead and just hired away one of their top assistants, like to kind of get, get, get to know them. So that'll be an interesting dynamic going into, um, going into this first Sunbelt season. And then you bring in the ODU rivalry coming back. They hired Lexi barrier. This is Jamie alum, but, um, was, is from Ironton, Ohio, right near Huntington, West Virginia, and had went home to work at Marshall for a season and then got hired <laughs> by, 
JMU. So um, even with the assistant coaching hires, JMU is kind of making a splash in the conference right away. They are, and you know that might pay off in the long run, especially with the hire, like you know, taking an assistant from Troy, who's been one of those top teams in the league. He already brings the experience of of playing this league, knowing the teams you're going to be playing, and most of them at least, you know, the new ones, not so much, but you know, the bulk of the teams you're going to see, and I think that's kind of big. You know, joining new conference, you're going to have. What is that? Thirteen of the teams you've really never seen before. Yeah, and Neil Harrow, who we're talking about coming from Troy, has already made an impact on the recruiting trail. Because I mean, he's primarily responsible for both Caroline Jermon and Kobe King Hawea coming in here. He had, you know, a pretty existing relationship with them, having kind of recruited uh, JUCOs in the western part of the country and everything. And um, so that seems like it has potential to work out pretty darn well for for JMU, just with those those hires, those new additions. Um, you know, the big question then is what should the overall expectations be for a team that's coming off a losing season, picked sixth by the Sunbelt coaches in the uh, preseason poll. That seemed quite low to me, but maybe if you just weren't as familiar with what JMU has been and all the injuries and everything they had last year, I don't know, does that seem like a reasonable place to put them for you? I think it, like, I mean, if, if you're an outsider, you, you look at how they did last year and you don't really see what happened, and you think it's, it's a reasonable spot, but... As you saw in football, it, the preseason rankings don't really mean a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> especially as you get deeper and deeper into portal stuff and, you know, injuries. Nobody was probably watching Jamie play on Flow Sports very much last year. Uh, a little joke for the for the fans. But, um, yeah, I, I expect Jamie to be much better than sixth, you know, frankly. But um, never know. I didn't expect them to struggle quite as much as they did last year, even with the injuries piled up. But... I do think if they're even remotely healthy, this should be a bounce back season where they're, you know, definitely more in the 20, 25 win range and uh, competitive for a Sunbelt title. No, yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, a a, you know, a reasonable prediction going into the year. I think, you know, Sunbelt titles up for grabs and I think Jamie has a shot to get it on both sides, especially the women. Yeah. And the men's team has, not had the tradition in the last couple decades that the women's program has had. They've, you know, struggled largely before uh, Mark Byington got in here getting ready to start his third season. But they gain a little respect from the coaches around Sunbelt Conference. They're picked fourth, got a first-place vote. Um, does that sound like a pretty reasonable place to start for JMU entering the Sunbelt on the men's side? You know, I think it might be a little bit higher than I would have thought that they would have ended up just being their first year in a new conference, but it's not terrible. Yeah. And I think it also kind of goes to show, like, um, even for people who are in the sport, like uh, coaches and everything, for when, you know, it's quite possible also that some of the SIDs uh, <laughs> did, did, did the voting um, when you were looking at the women's side and everything. But I think it also kind of goes to show that, like, everybody's a lot more up on who's transferred where – who's recruited who, who's, you know, did well, who was injured and everything. Um, it's not as much of a mystery on the men's side. Even if you just want to follow, the, like, the uh, transfer portal for women's basketball, you got to dig fairly deep online to find out who's who's landed everywhere. And I think that probably plays a little bit of a role into the preseason polls. But on the men's side, you know, JMU, um, you know, I think it was fairly well publicized that they were looking really good early in the season last year and then struggled with injuries and COVID and – uh, you know, maybe I don't want to say packing it in, but like the end of the season when there was no 
tournament in sight, no conference tournament in sight, things like that. It's just um, kind of hard to bring the same energy late in the season after uh, suffering some losses and stuff. And I think that was probably noticed more by um, Sunbelt Media and certainly Sunbelt coaches and stuff as they voted on that poll. And, you know, I, I would be curious to know who, who gave Jamie the first place vote because, you know, they must be pretty high on, on the Dukes. Was it Mark Byington? I don't think you can vote for your own. You can. Oh, you can. Because Georgia Southern got a first place vote at football, and it was definitely Clay Helton. Oh, really? So. <laughs> <laughs> I was not aware of that. I assumed, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see, like, um, like if you know, look at the West Coast Conference, it's always, like, nine nine first place votes for Gonzaga and somebody. Like St. Mark, Mary's. You know, Mark, Mark Few has to vote for somebody else. Like, um, has always, always tended to go. Um, so that that is interesting. I doubt it was Byington who voted for them first, but you never know. Um, but I think he thinks his team has a chance to finish first. Um, just talking to him, getting to uh, know some of these players. We went through a lot of the women's personnel. For the men's side, they also had their leading scorer coming back, Votto Morse, who was an all-CAA um, player. But Well, some belt too now. Yeah, preseason all Sun Belt. Um, you know, like Kiki Jefferson, although uh, sort of surprising. Kiki was only voted second team, but well, we're moving on from the women's. We're talking, we're talking men, and uh, you know, Vado comes back. Um, nine of the top ten scores from last year back, um, or, or eight of the top nine. I can't remember exactly how it was, but uh, you know, they lose Chuck Falden, who was a veteran presence, um, hit some huge shots for them last year. Was a good scorer. But at least on the offensive end, I think they probably did a good job replacing his production by bringing in Noah Friedel, the South Dakota State transfer, who has his own um, issues, um, you know, some mental health things and stuff, where he didn't play a lot of games at South Dakota State, especially last year. But when he was on the court, he was a dynamic scorer and really one of the best mid-major scorers in the country. Sounds like maybe he's got some work to do on the defensive end uh, to keep up with what Jamie wants to do defensively. But that seems to be a guy that, like, has a chance to make a huge impact if he's ready to go this year. Yeah, I think it is. And I think that's a big a big get for Jamie, as you said, you know, keeping most of the roster intact. Otherwise, I think, you know, it's a, it's a good start. And I think that, you know, as soon, similar to the women, they, on paper, have a big-time a big time shot to win at least the regular season title, but also probably make a deep run in the Sun Belt tournament. Yeah, and, you know, that's, you know, part of it, too. Um, the Sun Belt sets up their tournament, so um, all four teams are in, but it rewards you for regular season performance. You know, you there's double buys. There's, you know, things that it's set up to um, make it a little easier on the teams that performed in the yeah. regular season to get to that championship round. Um, My understanding is during the regular season, they'll, be seat, they'll show up as being an East and West, but then when they get to the tournament, they're seeding them based on overall record. So yeah, it doesn't really matter. East and West. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting um, to see that too. Um, we'll get into like the East and the West and what everybody has in the Sun Belt a little bit, but first we'll, we'll kind of continue to look at what JMU has. We talked about Noah Friedel, transfer guard, who I think is going to add a dimension to the offense. Definitely a, great shooter uh, the other transfer coming in mezzo forum from mount st mary's was a double figure scorer solid rebounder there you know six eight power forward who really just looks like he adds some significant size and bulk to this lineup and 
everybody has been high on him since since the summer when he came in. And even, you know, I, I went to a women's lacrosse NCAA tournament game this year, and Mount St. Mary's happened to be at the same location. They weren't playing JMU, but they're at the same location. And employees of the Mount St. Mary's athletic department were coming up to me when they saw that I covered JMU to talk to me about Mezzi because he was that good a player, but also, like, they just liked him as a person that much. So that was one of the interesting things, I guess, I, I experienced this spring and kind of has me thinking uh, he could be, you know, potentially a huge impact player for this team that adds a little depth in the front court with him and freshman Jarrell Roberson coming in. I mean, we saw him at, at their, you know, open practice. He was a big guy. I think that, that's something that Jamie needed, so it works out. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I keep pushing this uh, with Mark. He never, like, quite quite agrees with me yet. But their tallest guy for the last two seasons has been Julian Wooden, who, to me, is a guard. You know, he, he would rather play guard. He'd rather be on the, um, you know, maybe he can guard the five a little bit. But offensively, he seems like more of a guard. I think adding those two guys probably um, probably does a lot to – uh, let him play a more natural position for him, like maybe more of a three or, a, you know, a four, uh, where he was, you know, put to five a lot in his first two years playing for Mark Byington. Um, you look at other guys on this team, somebody I think is probably going to make um, a huge impact and may surprise a few people is Terrence Edwards uh, coming back for his junior season. Played really well late in the season last year. Um I think in conference play alone, he was averaging double figures, scoring, doing a little bit. And he's a guy who, when you ask the players on the team who's been looking good uh, in the offseason and practice, everything, his name comes up from anybody you talk to. Um, you know, I don't know if you've like seen him play a whole lot. I saw him play, and the thing that sticks out sticks out to me is anytime he hits a shot, he like you know does a little dancer celebration. So it's cool. <laughs> I, I kind of like him just because he's a little you know flashy every time he makes something. Yeah, and his outside shooting is something that's improved um, steadily since he got here. He was always a guy who was more of a slasher, everything. And you know, this is a story I'm planning on writing tomorrow. I haven't started writing yet, but one thing I found very interesting about that is when Mark Byington had his media day press conference. And he's talking about the front court. He's mentioning that they could play Terrence Edwards at the four, even though he's a little bit undersized. He's a six-six guy. Um, he's starting to put on a little muscle. He came in quite skinny, even though they call him fat. Um, <laughs> his nickname's Fat, but um, you know he was a skinny guy coming in. He's starting to you know develop some of that muscle. Can you know bang a little bit in the post, even at six-six. Uh, so he's talking about him being a four. Then I go out into the hallway and I'm talking to Noah Friedel and asking about who he likes playing with. And he's, like, saying that Terrence, or, you know, Fat, as he called him, he goes, Fat, Fat's my favorite point guard on the team because, like, we really, like, connect and, like, we, we work well in transition. And I'm like, I'm like, so you're calling him a point guard and uh, Mark's calling him a four. Um, but I think that kind of sums up what he brings to the team is, um, you know, Byington's talked about wanting to play positionless basketball since the day he got here. Maybe nobody – uh, embodies that more than Terrence Edwards. And maybe that's why he was starting to really thrive last year, late in the season, as he kind of got more acclimated to what, what the system is. No, I think for sure. I mean, if you have the ability to, to have the skills to be a have, you know, point guard, but also have the size to be able to match up with the four, I think that's kind of something that any college basketball coach would take. Because you can play one, you can play point guard, you can play shooting guard, you can play the three, you can play the four. I think, you know, for him, he might be that ultimate Swiss Army knife, they can stay out on the floor and they can use different 
different guys, different personnel, and still keep him out there and make it work if he starts getting hot. Yeah, and you know, guys we haven't talked about a whole lot. Um, Tyree Hinacho is a six four guard who can play the point. Um, is going to be on the floor a lot. Um, you get him and Terrence Edwards out there together. You can really rebound and just go and get down the court um, when you're playing lineups like that, <clears throat> which is exactly what they want to do. They want to run a ton, especially since they are so deep. You know, like, like I mentioned, we haven't even really gotten into the roster that much. You know, guys like Terrell Strickland, Justin Amadi coming back, who have been major contributors since the day they arrived on campus. Um, Takal Molson was one of the guys who we talked about earlier was injured and kind of derailed the whole season when he was injured, but he's back. He's been playing, you know, full strength. Um, you know, mentioned, you know, Jarrell Roberson's a freshman who's probably going to get some playing time because of his size. And then we haven't even mentioned, you know, the guy they took to Sunbelt media day is Alonzo Sule, who, um, you know, is one of their most experienced guys and, you know, a real, a real leader on this team. I think, at times, we have a tendency to maybe like oversell what they have talent-wise for basketball because JMU fans have been, or at least it seems like we're overselling because JMU fans have been through a lot of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they really had one good season in the past, you know, almost a decade. Uh, they won the regular season CAA title during the the biggest COVID year a short schedule and everything, but they were looking really good. They were looking like a team that had a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. And then Matt Lewis gets hurt, you know, future pro Matt Lewis gets hurt right before the end of the regular season. And, you know, they don't end up going anywhere. And then last year they're looking pretty good and it ends up being kind of derailed by injuries. So I think JMU fans can be a little bit snake bitten by this and maybe don't even want to believe how deep and talented this team actually is right now. But, if they are healthy, I think the expectation should be to be in the mix for the Sun Belt Championship. Yeah, and I think that's the key, being healthy. They've run into problems with that. Before, you stay healthy, you got the guys to do it. I think it's it's not out of the question to make to be playing on the last day of the Sun Belt Tournament. And I think they are also built this year to withstand Minors. one or two more, one or two injuries. Um, you know, you guy like... Um, you know, Takal Molson, they missed him so much when he went out last year. And they bring in a freshman, Bryson Blaine, another guy I hadn't even mentioned, who every time I've seen them play has looked great. And I feel like he's a guy who, you know, they didn't bring him in to replace Talk this year, but I feel like he's a guy who's going to be able to do similar things down the line and maybe can step in if, you know, something else happens uh, along those lines when it comes to injuries. You know, we just kind of um, talk about – the Sun Belt, we say JMU has a chance to compete, but that depends a lot on the other teams in the league. Um, you look around, uh, a lot of talent left this league last year. I think you know it, it was it was well publicized that every major award winner from the postseason last year hit the transfer nice, portal. Um, but then a lot of good players come came into the league. We talked about JMU's um, some teams like. Some teams like Southern Miss, who have been way down, they they tended to reload. Uh, South Alabama's got you know some good transfers coming in. Um, I think there are going to be some pretty solid teams. I look around. Texas State has been a solid mid major program for several years, um, but it's been one of those teams that's kind of struggled to win the conference tournament and get to the NCAA tournament, despite playing well in the regular season. Um, so they're always going to be there, but I, they're not even one of the ones I have necessarily at the top of my list of who might 
look good. I know he, I, I mentioned VC, Noah being a VCU guy oh, all the time. VCU, we yeah, can bring so, him up so right now. But um, that means you're a mid-major basketball aficionado. So tell me your overall impression of like what the Sun Belt has this season. I don't know if the Atlantic 10 is mid-major basketball these days. <laughs> but, you know, I think the Sun Belt, is, it's, it's a good league. It's it's not one of the the top mid major leagues. I guess it's what you call the Atlantic Ten being one of the top or the you know Mountain West. But I still think it's it's a good league, and especially with the amount of players that they lost, that you know Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, you know all of them leaving, and they were able to attract you know some big time transfers to come in. I think that that just strengthens the league, and and I think you know that in this in this time where they had four new teams, it's, it's a fun time to be in the Sun Belt. Yeah, um, you know, Georgia State's another team, that, another program that's been good and has been good in conference tournaments, and they've, you know, made those NCAA tournament appearances. Uh, yeah, the co- coaching change um, this year. You know, Jonah Hayes coming in, an Atlanta native. I feel like that was a really good hire. Um, but I, I do kind of wonder if maybe teams or uh, people are picking them a little high just based on um, the history of that program. While he's still got to kind of get his uh, footing in there and recruit a little bit more, uh, they did bring in some transfers. Um, you know, Quan Odom and some people that I think are going to contribute. But, you know, really for me, I feel like JMU as a newcomer has a really legitimate shot to win this league. And I look at South Alabama, and I, I've been saying this to like pretty much everybody I talk to. It's like South Alabama, like they were down a little bit last year, but they've got guys who. Um, have transferred in, you know, Greg Parham is a Richmond native who was a electric scorer at uh, VCU, or not VCU, not VCU. VMI. <laughs> I was getting ready to say that he, like, you know, turned down VCU in the transfer portal. I think they did offer to, him. To go to South Alabama, and JMU as well. Um, ended up going to South Alabama. He's a guy who's going to be, um, like Noah Friedel, should immediately become one of the most electric scorers in the conference as a transfer. He, he had to sit out last year with a injury, um, but he's, you know, basically a new transfer guy. They also add, you know, seven footer, Kevin Samuel, who's a uh, Florida Gulf coast, who should, um, should be one of the usually. Okay. You get into like a league like this, a one bid league like this, seven footers are hit and miss. There's a reason they're not at the power five schools. Yes. Kevin Samuel, <laughs> Is a guy who can move, who can score, gets a ton of rebounds. He's, you know, a potential all-conference type of player. And they add those two guys. They, South Alabama's got a lot of size. I would not be surprised at all if it's JMU-South Alabama battling it out towards the end of the year for the conference championship. And they're not necessarily ones picked by a lot of the uh, media and coaches. So that, you know, that's my two cents on there's you know, Shane's dark win. horse. Shane, now give us a score for that title game. <laughs> for okay, yeah. Oh uh, nope, no score given. No. He doesn't believe. Yeah, well, I have to look a little closer. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's my <laughs> getting sidetracked here. No, no, back me up. But yeah, that's my overall impression. Is kind of of the league as a whole. Um, though I think we should note that. Um, ODU should be improved, yep. Um, and Marshall should be improved as well. They also bring in a high-scoring VMI transfer. Um, and interesting to just to note that, like when you look at the league as a whole, JMU, ODU, Marshall, any 
one of those threes, if they'd have been a member of the Sun Belt last year, would have led the conference in attendance by a lot. So you add those three programs where, you know, relatively speaking, people care about basketball. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic, too. It's just like, you know, overall attendance and eyeballs on the conference should be up with this realignment that was done for football. But those three programs should make an impact in basketball. Just, you know, people watching the games, people traveling to conference tournament, things like that. I think that'll be an interesting uh, thing to kind of watch going forward. And wouldn't be surprised if either one of those two teams I mentioned, too, like ODU or Marshall end up having a pretty solid season. So before we wrap it up, Noah, any other thoughts about Sunbelt basketball? You're about to get your uh, your first real experience of I am getting that. Your first experience of that. And I, you know, I think it's, it's a good league. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's primed to have success. I think both JMU teams, men and women, have an opportunity to make runs. I think it'd be, it'd be pretty cool to see at the end in March, see both teams in the dance. I mean, it's possible. It's just not unrealistic at this point. Yeah, it really is. And, you know. We'll, we'll figure out how we're going to manage to cover all that if uh, if that's the case when we get to February, March, uh, and these are looking like potential tournament teams. Uh, we will have a lot to talk about. Um, but now it's November, and so we're going to still have a lot to talk about because we got, you know. 13 days till the season? Yeah, and next week we'll get back to a little more football talk. As Jamie heads to Louisville. Um, we'll keep mixing in the basketball talk because that season's starting, and, you know, maybe we'll have a – slightly longer episodes uh, as we try to cover everything here on the uh, Purple and Gold podcast. I'm Shane Metlin. You've been listening to me, Noah Fleischman, your JMU beat writers at the Daily News Record. And once again, thank you for listening.